Thursday, basically, we were back in the surf. We're like hovering probably like 50 feet over the water and basically smoke just starts pouring into the cabin. It's just black smoke and, and the flight mechs just two in by the door. And they're like, oh, like, you can just see their face and they're like, oh crap. And welcome to another episode of the Rescue Swimmer Mindset Podcast. I'm your host, Vince, joined here with Cody Wright. Um, we're finally checking in. Checking in on the community, checking in on you swimmers and tadpoles out there, seeing what's new. What's How you doing, on? buddy? I'm good. It's probably good. been like six months, or right? How long? When's the last time we did an episode? I don't know. It's embarrassing. Let's pretend like it's been six days. It's only been six days, people. You guys just haven't been tuning in to the exactly. to our secret blog. It's on Reddit. It's a under ground podcast now you got to really know how to find it now what we've been uh, working on for the company to keep you guys updated is we actually have three new instructors that we're working on programs with so the first one which we may have seen on instagram there is luca samaruga and he is a professional free diver he's broken the record for like the longest free dive in canada he's working with us on a program for underwaters he's been really hard to get a hold of though he's like trying to get jocko willink to do a masterclass when he's overseas. Yeah. Good luck. He's in the weeds. He's doing the thing. And he's always on some cool. escapade or something. Yeah, he's always weird country. Not weird. Yeah, it's like... Random. <laughs> Out of nowhere. <laughs> I know. Yeah, I'm assuming it's like the same process of getting uh, Wim Hof to do that book. Finally, he's just out there doing the thing, climbing Everest and stuff. But when it comes down to sitting down to do a masterclass, it's going to be great when it's done. But it's going to be a timely process. Our second person that we just got on is ed vajaska he's a lifeguard we've had on that's actually the last episode of the podcast he's gonna actually have a very cool class similar to our master class our how to hold your breath like a rescue swimmer and our perfect four master class so he's gonna teach us rescue procedures out at sea surf training rescue procedures that lifeguards use and implement yeah. as well as it's like how to train like them he worked 45 years as a lifeguard for the california state parks so He's legit. He ran like their entire training program for a while in Huntington Beach. So it's 10 days, I want to say, of a Coast Guard A school or like a boot camp style lifeguard training where people get washed out and they have like serious skills. They have to different choke points they have to get through to get onto the next phase of training. So it should be cool. Do they have a high attrition rate as well? I don't know what their attrition rate is, but I, I've heard from many people that it's pretty hard. Yeah. And, and I mean, those people, everyone that comes out of that school are, are like pretty solid in the water. Really didn't you say you've been working with some as well? Yeah. I work, I just, I swim with some of them up in Northern California. Uh, as in, as in pool training or? Yeah. Pool training. And then they do like ocean swims and stuff. So I'll go out and do that. And they do in and outs. So basically you start, you know, from the sand, you do like 10 push ups and you sprint out to the ocean and like try to get past the surf zone somewhere on a buoy swim back and then go back to the sand sprint up do 10 push-ups and do like laps of that they're called in and outs so i do that with them stuff like that it's pretty fun that's actually something the rescue swimmers had me do in my airman program in hawaii and you know i was better in the pool than the other candidates that said one of the candidates was a surfer big time surfer he was timing those waves so that's really cool to see the difference between somebody that can work with the waves and timing that that's yeah. not as good or as like a proficient of a swimmer on like flat calm water yeah definitely doing way better in in the ocean than i was that's kind of what we were talking about in our perfect form class and hopefully that's yeah. what ed will and then they even have yeah so in their training and i'm sure ed will cover this but they have certain techniques like first of all they don't swim with goggles you know 
because you're not going to like if you're conducting a rescue, you're not going to be wearing goggles. So their open water ocean swim stuff are all just without goggles, which is something that you have to get used to, you know. And then, you know, when you're swimming out, you swim out freestyle or whatever. You're always looking at the waves and on the way back, they backstroke because they want to be looking at the waves going towards shore. Like you don't want to turn your back to the ocean. So it's a little a little different. Whoa. It's a little technique difference that we don't really learn. That said, if you're going to kind of do a little body surfing situation. Yeah, you um, kind of backstroke into it and then you turn last second. Oh, so you do turn and, and do you a little turn body surfing. When, yeah, you do the body surfing, but you, you want to see the waves coming and then you kind of turn into it before you body surf. You know? Yeah. Otherwise, I feel like you're doing like a reverse scorpion backflip. Yeah, thing. yeah. Not, you don't want to do that. You want to yeah. turn. But. <laughs> okay, okay. Oh, very cool. Yeah. yeah well, I wonder though, why don't lifeguards have like masks just so if they have anything to deal with underwater? I don't know. It might be situational depending on where you're actually standing your lifeguard duties but i know that's just how they train i mean i'm not exactly sure if there's like certain lifeguard operational areas that would use masks but who knows they probably have a couple just in case they need to go underwater yeah i've done the whole like strap the mask to your leg thing just makes you feel cool and then if you need it it's there that's cool but you could still lose it probably i don't know yeah yeah (laughs) yeah and then our last uh, instructor that we've been working on a program with is chuck fox Chuck Fox. Yeah. So I actually met him while I was at EMT school last summer, Coast Guard EMT school. And yeah, he's a Coast Guard diver, went through all that. It's like a kind of a new thing in the Coast Guard. I'm trying to think if they had it when I was in the Coast Guard, when we were in the Coast Guard the first time, like 2014, 15. I think people were talking about it, but it wasn't a rate, but now it's an actual rate. I think it was kind of a rate, but you would always come into it as like a second class or something. That's that's what it is now. So it must've been around then too. Uh, okay. You have to be... Yeah, you have to be like above the cut for second class, whatever rate you are before you go diver. But they go to Navy dive school. So that's in, I want to say Pensacola. But either way, yeah, he's Navy diver, pretty legit. He's just going to put together a program designed around all the specific training needs of that dive school in Pensacola. So they're a little different. They're a little more Navy style. So they do like sand and like log PT. It must be like a diver and a seal thing. They do the log PT sand whatever running in the ocean getting wet and sandy and stuff so he's doing all that yeah well you never know operationally when you're gonna have to lift the tree you know true <laughs> lift <the> tree. <laughs> you never know yeah so those programs are all come up on our website rescuesormindset.com under the courses section and as well as cody has been working hard at developing himself yeah so Basically, in the past two and a half, three months, I've been studying for this test called CSCS, Certified Strength and Conditioning Specialist, and it's through an organization called National Strength and Conditioning Association, I want to say. Sometimes I get the acronyms all messed up, but basically, a CSCS certification is, it's kind of like the baseline certification you need to work with collegiate and professional athletes, so a lot of like strength conditioning coaches for, like, say, University of Oregon, their football, like football strength conditioning, strength and conditioning coach will have this certification and everyone working for him and like in the strength and conditioning realm of responsibilities is going to have this certification. So it's, I would say it's kind of like the gold standard as far as like strength conditioning training goes. So the test is like freaking, you have this giant textbook and you're supposed to study for like six months to a year. And I studied like three months and ended up passing. So got the certification we're good to go. But As far as like applying it to our training, military stuff, we wrote all these training programs, you know, and I've done coaching with students, but this just applies more like of a scientific and foundational, like actual skill set that I can apply to 
different trainings. So if I'm writing a training program for a student, I have like these certain things I learned and then these certain like templates I can use to write a more like comprehensive program. There's like strength and like power principles behind like certain Olympic lifts. And as far as like building your base, your aerobic base and all that stuff goes. So, so, so it sounds like more scientifically and physiologically. Yeah. You learn programs, right? It's almost like, yeah, the certification uses a lot of science. The background is big on just, yeah, the anatomy, the physiology, the kinesthetics, and like really nailing down the principles of, of strength and conditioning rather than just like the new age stuff. So you have like a solid base that you can add your specific training to. So for military stuff, for our, you know, our swimming workouts and our like developing strength and power so you can work out longer and harder, all that stuff has like some sort of baseline principle that you're working from what are some of the specifics that you learned that were memorable for you so yeah you go big into like just the concept of periodization training so say if you're building up we're gonna i'm just gonna use college athletes because that's kind of what it's focused around and i'm gonna tailor that towards more uh, military and you know rescue swimmer and like diver related stuff but so say you're like building up over the course of a year you want to train so you could like focus it around building up towards like Coast Guard Ace, like Rescue Summer A School. Periodization is just like methodically and like systematically building um, your strength and power over a certain period of time with like certain goals in these different like training cycles. So you start off, you know, say winter phase, you're starting off with strength conditioning, right? Or you're trying to build your, uh, your muscular endurance. So you spend like two to three months building up just strength. So you're in the gym, just doing like hypertrophy stuff, like um, just weights basically, you know, and you can do some running by biking in there just to keep your aerobic base somewhat intact. Now, now is this like rep dependent or mm-hmm. as in, is it like power yeah, so, lifting or is it just like reps of 10 to 12? Right. And this is just like a very general example. You know, it would just depend on what sport or like if you're training for swimmer school or whatever military training, but if you're training in the, in like the farthest away as possible, you're trying to build just muscle mass. So you'll have the ability to add power and strength later. So that's going to be the rep range around like six to 12 reps of like pretty classic lifting, like bench press, squat, uh, deadlift, stuff like that. And then you can work on like auxiliary muscles, kind of build up your back a little more. You can do lat pull downs, just basic stuff, right? Like bent over rows, just the classic curls, just building muscle mass. After that, you go into like a, it's like an endurance phase. So you're like working on muscular endurance. So after you build up a little bit of the muscle mass, you work on muscular endurance. So you're doing like whatever, like 12 to 20 reps of the same type of things. And that's another period, right? So you're doing that. The first one, you know, like four, it could be like anywhere from like a month to three months, like I was saying earlier. And the next cycle could be the same thing, another month to three months, depending on your timeline. And then once you have that endurance built up, then you start working on strength, you know? So like heavy deadlift, heavy squats, you know, like with low reps, three to five reps. And then after that, you start working on power, which is just like explosive movements, the like Olympic, like cleans, you know, snatches, all that stuff. And while you're doing all that, that's just like your strength base. And you're also building your aerobic base and you're in the pool and stuff. So it's like kind of complex and you have to kind of work everything in together, but that's like the strength foundations as far as like a training cycle would go. Is that sequence important? You're bringing up, you know, strength. So like, yeah, between eight to 12, which is common. Yeah. It's like, well, known bodybuilder. Yeah. But is it important to then go to that endurance? So 12 to 20, is it important to do that in a consecutive way? Or could you go from that like eight to 12 and then go into the powerlifting for, for like one to five reps? 
again, is right. it important to go in the like sequence it, that you just mentioned? That's the most beneficial sequence of lifts. So if you do it the way I mentioned it, I mean, it doesn't, everything doesn't work out like perfectly. And sometimes you have like a smaller timeline or you want to try something new, but as far as like the principles go, that's what you want to do. And like any college athlete or professional athlete is kind of going through the exact same cycle. They're not really varied. Yeah. Break it down. So first stage is. First stage is going to be just muscle building. So you're doing hypertrophy stuff, freaking in the gym, building muscle. And you're going to, in that period, you're going to be like eating a bunch, trying to just gain as much mass as possible. I mean, in a healthy way. And then you're going to go into endurance. So you're building Wait, so, and say reps too. So phase oh, one yeah. reps. So that's going to be six to 12. Yeah. For, for okay. the first phase. Number two phase. is endurance. So that's 12 to 20 Yeah. reps. And then you're going to go into strength or strength power, but mostly strength. And that's going to be five-ish reps, three to five, really. Okay. And then you start working on power, which is going to be like one to five reps, roughly, typically. Power versus strength, you know, you're developing your ability to generate a lot of force quickly. So it's a lighter weight than you would strength, right? So like strength, you'd be going heavy. And then power, you're doing about the same reps or a little lower reps, but faster movements with lighter weight. And what are examples of this? Is it like quick deadlifts as well as like box jumps and maybe sprint stuff is that mostly what we're looking at? well from the strength side it's going to be like just like a clean or a snatch like a kettlebell snatch or like a barbell clean you know those like kind of olympic style lifts not so much de- a fast deadlift but it's mostly like explosive movements sprints also are good i'm talking about power phase right so like this is for so power that, yeah yeah so explosiveness yeah, generating some- explosiveness just generating force quickly uh, plyometric stuff. Yeah. Box jumps, all that stuff. Okay. And then it gets like, you can add in different stuff. Like you can do some sort of like power move or strength with power. Like some of those can get intertwined based on your needs, but this is just like a general overview. Right. So mm. yeah. Interesting. Cause myself, the two phases I definitely neglect is endurance. And that's likely I've, I've made the excuse of that's my like ectomorph body type. You, you know, mean like I, muscular endurance or like endurance as far as like running goes? Oh, no. Endurance is well, that too, because my, my old knees are weak. But, okay, no, I'm, I'm but I'm talking, yeah, no, but I'm talking endurance as far as reps of 12 to 20. I rarely right. play around in that range um, aside from like pull up stuff. Um, and then also power is a phase I've certainly neglected in the recent years. You know, yeah. I don't do box jumps. I can't say I do. I usually end with a power set after my deadlifts, which are either in the that strength. So I usually do. I, I have only really done pyramids for for deadlifting. So you know, start at like 15 reps, and then you're working your way down as you're increasing in weight. And then at the end, I go into like a power phase lift. So I've really never had that dedicated two three month phase like that. And I would certainly be interested to to note like the difference or or how that would change my physical performances. Yeah. And I, I also relate to that because I I would say as far as endurance goes, like muscular endurance with lifting, I've done pretty good at that somewhat recently. But the power stuff, I completely neglect. Like, I don't think I've really ever done power lifting too much. And I started, I just do it like once a week now. And I've only been doing it, you know, since I started learning about it. I was like, oh, I need to start doing power workouts. So, right. so I do it once a week. I mean, I don't have a huge noticeable difference in my performance yet, but it's, it hasn't been that long, so... We'll have to see as far as that goes. So are you going to implement this different phase system or since you're yeah. not per se training for any specific athletic endeavor, you're not going to break it down like that as for my training or yeah, for yeah, I'm not like training for a specific thing as far as 
in the rest of my world goes, or even like physically, I don't need something specific for that right now. Cause I'm not trying to build up to something, but if I'm training for something in the future, I will go back to that. Or I might even just like take those principles and just like have seasons of workouts, you know, like in the summer, I don't want to be lifting super heavy, you know, and like, I'm typically trying to stay like pretty in shape so I can go do some like cool hikes or like go running somewhere cool or swimming, yeah. you know, surfing. But in the winter, when it's a little like things slow down, you can, you know, just do heavy lifting and all that stuff to mm -hmm. build that baseline for the, for the next summer or whatever. Yeah. So <laughs> I don't know if I should confess this, but it is a confession basically from the age of 13 to what am I now? Like 29 until like six months ago, I've always worked out. And like yeah. I'm saying, talking, averaging three days a week, uh, lifting some kind of some form of regimented exercise. But the last six months, pretty much since like we haven't done the podcast, I wanted to see what would occur with my rock climbing if I stopped lifting. Yeah. I just wanted to see more specifically. I wanted to see like if the flexibility, it's not an excuse because Olympic gymnasts are super jacked, big muscle mass, but very flexible. That's because they spent time doing both body lifting as well as stretching. I have not done that since I feel like I don't have that much time with everything going on right now in my life. I'm like, okay, let's see if I just cut out lifting, if that's going to enhance flexibility and thus, and also shed weight for rock climbing. And overall, my result is I haven't really lost that much weight. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, my hips flexors and everything, I can get closer to the wall and I can lift the leg higher, but really not much of a difference so i think i'm gonna start again <laughs> yeah have you noticed like a definition decrease in your muscle size and stuff or i'd say yeah it, it's very weird like arms are definitely i definitely look less like ripped the arms are definitely uh smaller volume yeah yet i weigh the same yet hmm. i don't look chubby or anything yeah you yeah. know i don't look like it's it, like fat gain so i don't know where the hell the weight has gone or distribute it's very strange i don't know what's going on but yeah, yeah. <laughs> but like straight up six seven months of really you know all right sometimes i'll go to the gym I'm like all right i need to do a little bench pressing or like deadlifting but really not regimented like i normally do yeah. and diet wise you know it's, it's pretty much the same eating healthy but not as much as i do when i lift i don't know it's very weird maybe it's just the body type the ectomorph body type there again but i don't know right so i think i'll get back into it soon it was yeah. kind of my cutting season i wanted to see what would happen but yeah, so you just climb a little harder for like peak climb season, kind of. Yeah, because like, rock climbers are just yeah, they're just strong in the fingers, really. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like the ideal frame is kind of wiry with strong fingers, right? Really. Yeah, skinny legs, like no legs. Like yeah. when you see those great rock climbers, you're like, yeah, they kind of they often have toothpick legs, and you're like, eh, yeah. yeah, well, there's Which nothing is, to lift down there. Yeah, not ideal for. I guess depending, it is just ideal for climbing specifically, but maybe for good for swimming too actually a little climbing swimming you're talking not having muscle like muscular legs yeah like yeah i suppose you'd rather have a little smaller legs and just bigger upper body so yeah you still want some muscle in the leg yeah i mean it's out. not ideal yeah you definitely want muscle on the leg but yeah. i know i have like super heavy legs so i was always super hard to buddy toe in a school mm -hmm. so i mean that's just i'm like known for that just yeah you got some muscle. big old muscular ham hocks for sure it doesn't work it doesn't help for climbing either but no <laughs> no and and in the water you know muscle sinks muscle doesn't float so it's definitely causing that drag and like we're talking that perfect form master class there the the legs if if they're dragging yeah. low that's definitely an issue so you got to propel push the hips down yeah to balance that out you have to push the you got to push your your pelvis 
like downward a little bit downward slightly more yeah. to, to, to compensate that drag yeah no that seems right i was just oh, yeah. thinking maybe i'll try it when i go swimming tomorrow <laughs> yeah well a lot of beginner swimmers that's what you'll see is that the main issue is they're trying to keep the head up and their legs are therefore sinking and now they're kind of kicking upward instead of planning out by putting their hips a little forward if, if not even down a little bit by right. and almost creating a slight arch is okay you know yeah yeah you talked about that in perfect form right a bunch. Yep. yeah so uh what's what's new in the coast guard life you got any tea what I about the engine failure can you talk about that yet oh yeah yeah i went to uh ahars advanced helicopter rescue summer school which vince is also a graduate of um, great. it's pretty sick <laughs> yeah but yeah I, mean, I think we've talked about it on the podcast but I like the have, cave yeah. the cave that you see in the guardian which is allegedly in alaska is is advanced helicopter rescue swimmer school yeah. and that's where the swimmers go and swim in a cave yeah so uh, that's it's freaking sick yeah. that school is awesome and everyone every rescue swimmer and like pilot flight mech wants to go to that school yeah. um so and it's put on by the coast guard stand team which is a group of air crewmen so and women um there's like swimmers flight mechs and pilots who are all in mobile and they go out there to astoria and put on this school for a week long and they just cycle through for like a a couple months in the winter and in the spring freaking with the school and it's just a week of training in super critical and heavy seas you do cliff rescue stuff all that in the cave rescue if, if the seas aren't too big sometimes like it's so big up there they don't even want you to go in the cave you know so yeah did you get to go in the cave with your class when you went back no it was really yeah. funny though who's this who was the senior chief at the time he had shaved head super stud super disciplined yeah. and I well heard... dedicated Ooh. Man, I that guy revolutionized the storm program. Master Chief Bean. Maybe. Hopefully we're not getting that wrong. Anyway, we were the only swimmer. Like, it was just me and him that got, like, close to the cave opening. And we are just, like, out there getting ripped up by these yeah. these waves. That are, like, it's a very sharp break. Very steep. Like, I don't know, at least single overhead, if not, like, one and a half or something. And uh, really, like, kind of back-breaking waves. And we are just, like, playing, flirting with the opening of the wave but all the other swimmers were like on the shore they're like nah nah yeah yeah <laughs> and then we didn't no nah, we didn't go in pretty pretty crazy stuff out there but yeah so i went again in october of 2021 we did monday like you do surf training in the like breaking seas just like off on the uh, the coast of oregon there and then tuesday we did i want to say like cliff training wednesday maybe wednesday was another run of cliff training and then thursday basically we were back in the surf and we're like hovering 20, not 20 feet, like probably like 50 feet over the water, you know, over the surf. And there's three of us in there, three rescue swimmers, and there's probably two flight max. We're in a 60, so the bigger helicopter. And then the two piles up front. And basically smoke just starts pouring into the cabin. From, you can see it, it's like sucking in from the from the top of the helicopter, right? It's this black smoke and, we're, and the flight max, there's two in, by the door. And they're like, oh, like you can just see their face and they're like, oh crap. And so, like we just all three of the rescue swimmers like i think i was a little bit like going towards the cabin door i want to say and i just like went back and like put my gunner's belt on i know i had my gunner's belt on i went back and put my like actual seat belt on we were all off ics you know so we couldn't right. talk to anyone because we were just doing rescue swimmer stuff with our rescue swimmer helmets so we couldn't talk on the internal communication system yeah the flight mech just like looks at us and tells us to buckle up and we just like immediately break left like fast and we're just like going fast over the water like 40 probably 40 50 feet above the water it had to have been like not that long 20 seconds maybe there's still like smoke coming in and stuff 
and then immediately you just see sand and they just hook the plane in like shoot the tail around and just land immediately on the sand and we all just egress real quick and they shut the helicopter down and it was fine but it was like an emergency landing full-on you know pretty uh... pretty sketchy in the moment and then it ended up being okay i get i think the starter generator it's like a piece of the engine that helps with starting it basically sheared or exploded or something caught on fire and then the smoke ensued so pretty pretty gnarly and then they ended up canceling the whole ars class after that so we didn't do anything after thursday so friday was kind of because of that wash yeah because of that they had to do like you know they had to get that helicopter fixed and out of the sand before the tide came back oh yeah the air station in astoria everyone had to like come together and freaking go fix this helicopter on the beach and watch somewhere in washington and they did it it was pretty legit and they got it out before the tide came in but because it was like i think it was like close to low tide when they landed and i don't even know if the tide was gonna hit the plane but they were super worried about it right because that's a destroyed aircraft if yeah water gets up in it um so yeah they all came together and fixed it within like 24 hours to get it out of there before the next huge tidal swing so again what part failed it was i i think it was the starter generator okay and what's that doing for for flight purpose that just helps with starting the engine okay but it was on fire so right and that it's mounted to the engine but you're losing altitude if that fails because if it's just for you starting could be fine you would just be worried that it would catch other things on fire right okay, okay yeah i mean i don't know for sure if you'd be fine but it's not doing much in flight you know yeah the helicopter wasn't per se like losing altitude because no of no no it. yeah okay. it was totally fine as yeah. far as that goes that's pretty cool but, though that the pilots were like all right yeah, were, banking. The pilots and the flight mechs were on it like so fast it was pretty cool to see because like yeah. we're just useless rescuers are kind of useless when it comes to stuff like that we're just like we're along for the ride at that point so yeah. the pilots and flight mechs like nailed it and you know it's a stand team flight mech so they're all oh, right they're really on their, their stuff yeah. Yeah, like a, yeah. a chief amt out there they just running it so yeah that's cool yeah great yeah. story right there Heck yeah. All right. Yeah. So we're going to talk mental health. I wanted to just talk about like what you implement in your day-to-day life. Cause I think healthy habits is something that I think is important to implement. There's certainly like a growing mental health issue after the pandemic. I wanted to kind of check in with our audience as far as like what we do and what measures that we implement in our day-to-day life to yeah keep, keep on my mental health as well as our physical health. Cause we're always talking training, training, training. That's important. But it's kind of like, what, what else are we doing in between training? What do we do for resting? So, yeah, I'm curious, what, what do you do as far as some steps to, to keep your either mental or physical health in check? Pretty bad at this. Um, yeah. I actually am quite terrible. As far as like physical, are we just talking mental or are we talking everything? Well, we could take, we could talk like physical habits as well, but often, you know, two and two are connected. I, they are connected. Habits. That's basically what I was going with this is like, I've been really bad. I do minimal recovery as far as from workouts go. Like I need to like stretch and do mobility stuff more. That's one thing I've definitely been lagging on. As far as mental health goes, I don't have any like active things I like seek out. I'm not like, I don't go like, Hey, I'm feeling a little down or like overworked. I need to like figure out something for my mental health. Usually I just have a bunch of hobbies that I do that just like distract me from whatever I'm stressing about or whatever. So, you know, I just go surfing or something or, you know, trail running or something, but I don't really have a like actual rest and recovery, like methodology I, I follow. I don't know. Mm. Yeah. That's actually something I, I struggled with 
myself you use the word like distract ourselves and i i think i do that as well i think the elite military type people are just like dedicated athletes we're often we just distract ourselves with various activities it's hard for us to just take a second even myself like distracting myself is something i'm amazing at in the sense of if i'm not doing anything i'll be like listening to a podcast which is great i'm educating myself but i'm never really allowing that space to think right i'm always trying to grow but in that sense i'm not taking the time to to take all the knowledge and just let myself be at rest so i think that is important to sometimes just challenge yourself to not be listening to anything and not per se be doing any type of activity and just trying to check in on yourself treat yourself like your own counselor that's important to do i think at times and something i'm trying to implement in my own life one thing that i think you're good at though i feel like you're you're pretty good at having a schedule you get up early you kind of go to bed at a structured hour would you say that's accurate it varies even before i joined the coast the second time you know like a little over a year ago i was good at like waking i would i did this a lot i think i would like get up and i had like a notepad and stuff and i would just like write down my to-do list but now i don't do that as much i'm like a little more sporadic which i notice is detrimental to my productivity you know so like it is good to wake up have some sort of morning routine and then like checking in when you were talking about that the only time you really like get to check in or i get to check in myself is like every once in a while we have a sauna at my gym and that's a good time because there's no way you can't bring headphones in there because i'll probably break you know so i'd never do that's the only time you get some real quiet and you can actually like think a little bit other than that i'm just like always doing what you were saying you know like you just have a podcast in or like even music is a little bit of a distractor the actual silence that you get from just sitting somewhere is super rare for me yeah do you ever run without music sometimes but okay super rarely yeah i don't like it that much exactly yeah but i think it's a good thing to to try to push yourself occasionally to do that the last time i did it was for i did a marathon like a little over a month ago just in in humboldt here and they don't let you wear headphones for the marathon because it's sanctioned whatever so that was like you know a full-on like i ran in three hours 14 minutes or something so that's a long run with no headphones why do you think that is that they don't let you I just think it's it's one of those like qualifier races for other marathons. So they just want to, it's like just a rule rule book based on, you just have rules. Cause I think it's a qualifier for Boston if you reach the time. So they don't let you do it there. So I think it's just a a national rule or something for whatever organization does it. Yeah. You know, we talked about with Cody and and what we've been doing with the business, but one of the things that's taken up a lot of my time is I'm working on this film and it's pretty much like a veteran mental health piece and this guy like solos as a distraction for his own problem so again as a distraction and i think we often especially like elite folks and athletes we we utilize these distractions as our you know mental health coping mechanism and mine this this film was inspired by mine like a year ago or so when i was like going through a hard time i was like soloing but same thing i was like distracting myself from my own problems i was always listening to music so i was like jacked up on like soloing and listening to music but not really checking in on myself right and if i was overwhelmed i would feel in my body I'm like ah, i gotta go climb some rocks sketchily without a rope yeah um and i think a lot of athletes have done that they just like distract themselves and just pour themselves into you know either destroying their body or just really pushing themselves because they're they're just trying to cope with whatever they're, they're dealing with. And you probably didn't see this film, but I was talking with a friend about Alex Magos, one of the best rock climbers in the world there. 
he had a film like a year or two ago i asked my buddy like oh did you watch that film and he's like yeah i just watched it i was like how was it and he goes like well my assessment is the guy fucking hates it to himself like <laughs> so like um which was like i was like oh interesting like one of the best rock climbers in the world his interpretation of it was he got like so much self-hatred and he's like just distracting himself and pouring himself into like this sport so i don't know if that, that that's something that happens in the rescue swimmer community but i'm sure it occurs a lot in like these difficult athletic endeavors is trying to think about, Hey, am I doing all of this as a distraction for something oh. that I'm like refusing to check in? Probably mostly that's the kid, like probably almost always. That's true. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, dare I say it makes you reflect like, Oh, did all rescue swimmer graduates, like, do they have some kind of dark pain that they're covering up? Like, like they push part. themselves so hard because they're like, I don't want to deal with that. I'm just going <laughs> to drown over here. Like yeah. this is my safe spot where I'm drowning, but my <laughs> mental drowning, at least that's at bay for now. Yeah. Very, definitely varying degrees of that, but every person has that, you know, so this is how you channel it. Yeah. So we'll talk some mental health tricks too with this, this expert. But one thing I started implementing though, in the past couple of months is cold plunges, which is something that was first brought into my life in rescue swimmer school by Holt. Got his yeah, first name there. Chief now. Chief. Chief. Oh, nice. He's still a rescue swimmer. We always looked up to him as a phenomenal leader and so on top of physical development as well as even mental health. And one thing he recommended was doing cold plunge. And this is well ahead of like Wim Hof being publicized time, at least that I knew of and the average world knew of. He implemented like foam rolling in rescue swimmer school and all these different things that were like, at first rescue swimmer school was like beat you up consistently. There was no science behind it. It's just like, let's see if your body breaks or your mental breaks, but we're just going to keep pushing you until one of those happens or not. And you make it to the final finish line. But rescue swimmers developed to more than that. And one of the things uh, Holt implemented was the cold plunges. And I always hated the cold. Yeah. You guys doing those in A school? He didn't force us to by he any means. He, he, he was like, yeah, he was like, hey, yeah. I'm not saying you should do this, but yeah. but you guys should probably do this. Like, by no means is this like part of the program, but you should probably do this. And honestly, we, we had so much faith in his uh, education that we were like, all right, we're going in. And we were a winter class. So we're like in the water almost like every other day up to our necks. And we would stay in there for like 10 minutes. I think a range of like five to 10 is like, is, is good. If you can get to five, I think that's a good t thing. If it's a very cold body of water, but yeah, I started re-implementing that into my life and even implementing cold showers at the end of my showers there. And it's, it's really hard at first, but it's super surprising how quickly it gets easier. And I think that that's, that does a lot for you. It's like a, or mentally it's, it's something that's a little challenging because you don't want to do it. Nobody like likes that cold, but it pushes you to do something that's slightly uncomfortable. And once you do, it becomes easier and easier to do. And I think that's just like a good way to, if you're taking showers in the morning, that's a great way to do it. And it, it wakes you up a little bit, but a lot of other things that like your blood vessels, they'll shrink. You're bringing in more blood flow, closer to vital organs. And after leaving that like cold, your blood vessels reopen and that improves the circulation. It's good for your immune system. It's good to circulate your blood flow. But mentally, it's, I think it's just a good, good thing to adopt. And it's, it's challenging though. But if you can keep certain type of habits that are, are challenging, like getting up early and going to bed early, it, it's just hard to do when you're in a bad mental state. But it really does get you out of, out of it in certain ways. Yeah, cold, cold plunges, plunges, man. I'm, I'm pretty bad at cold plunges. I'm such a baby when it comes colder. I'll do them every once in a while out here just because the ocean's always freaking cold. So after surfing, I'll just like take my wetsuit off and 
just kind of lay there for a little bit in the surf zone. Oh, pretty, nice. Pretty freezing, but I won't yeah. do that. I'll do maybe a minute. Yeah. Especially are the waves coming in and out or you're, you're in it. Yeah. It's kind of like they're kind of like in a shallow spot where it's, they're kind of like the smaller waves and the waves are kind of washing over you, but they're like a couple feet, you know? So you're just kind of floating there getting hit by the waves. So yeah, it's definitely hard and cold. And the water's probably like, you know, it ranges from like 48 to 55 throughout the year. So yeah, it's so cold in the Pacific. Oh my very God. Cold. Yeah. Yeah. But other things like I, I Googled as far as cold like, dips go, it really helps with chronic pain. That's actually why Holt would have us do it was to like reduce the lactic acid, the swelling. That's why we we're in it for so long. It really helps those joints. So I I honestly though recommend kind of keeping the hands out because I don't think it's the best unless maybe you have arthritis. I don't think it's the best for the hands. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. But it also boosts your metabolisms. It's actually proven to be better sleep. We can do some digging and find some, maybe do a blog post on this or something for recovery. Yeah, do. we should. Yeah. I think that's important. That's kind of what I'm trying to get at is like focusing a little bit on recovery. And maybe we'll have somebody come in to talk really recovery only. But as far as this goes, yeah, it lowers inflammation. It boosts performance. Your neurotransmitters, the neuropinephrine, which is a critical chemical in the body that helps regulate attention, focus, and energy. The cold plunges increase the levels of that neuropinephrine. So, oh, it does. Yeah. And simultaneously like, increasing the okay. energy. That's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. And it, again, it's like, it's something you don't want to do at first, but then once you do it, you're like, okay, that sucked. And then the second time you're like, eh, it's kind of easier. And then, but now I'm like, I kind of just do it after the shower every time. And I'm yeah. It doesn't happen. Yeah, a, a recommendation I would do though, or I have, is uh, working on your breath, focusing on your breath. Having an, an exhale as you're going in the water truly helps. So a long exhale as that you're like really putting your body into that shock, that's what's really helps. And then taking deep breaths is uh is pretty important. Wim Hof's like breath technique is is quite interesting. It's you take a full inhale, so like quite slow. And then you start starting at the stomach, kind of like we teach in the hold your breath program, but start at the stomach, intercostal chest, neck, and then exhale it quick. So it goes. And then what that's actually doing is really hyperventilating, but you do that 30 times, you get like a little high. And so he's doing that before going into these cold plunges. And I forget exactly what that does, but for the cold plunges it really helps to have that regulated breath and focusing on that breath. And then the other thing he talks about is when you're doing cold plungers, it's increasing the brown fats, which is something that modern humans have shed a lot because we are wearing clothes all the time, but it's something we used to have a lot more of. The brown fats is like a healthier fat than what is, what's the other one? White fats? I forget. It keeps you warm. So you're building those every time you're doing a cold plunge. And it's not meaning that you're you're looking fatter, but it's like, I guess, like a tissue that's growing and keeping you warm. You're, you're polarizing yourself, polar bearizing yourself. <laughs> Yeah, man. So I'll, I'll talk to this guy about mental health. Good guests we got coming up here. But yeah, we should we should do a, a recovery post. Anything else you wanted to share with the, the crew? With the CSCS that I've been working on and I am certified, I'm finishing up like the back end. I have to like work to get my certification complete with the organization NSCA. But once that's all done, I'm going to start coaching again, just doing personal coaching for anyone who needs it. So that basically we'll start working on all that stuff. And you'll see an Instagram post or something in the near future on that. So if you're interested in that, you can like send me an email or Instagram DM and we can even start, you know, figuring it out now. Yep. If anybody happens to be in the Vancouver area in Canada, and that is looking for 
specific type of water training that means underwaters or swimming and water confidence or rescue techniques uh yeah hit me up as well we have a canadian audience i don't know how many are in vancouver slash squamish area yeah find out cool we'll uh see you on the next one see ya mental health